reading is like a portal that can just take you to another world, another universe, another way of thinking, another perspective. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. Hundreds of books from Fahrenheit 451 to Harry Potter are banned each year. But recently, alongside wider movements against critical race theory and comprehensive sexual education, there's been a considerable uptick. Works that articulate the Black experience like Angie Thomas' The Hate You Give, Toni Morrison's Beloved, have been targeted. And other books that give voice to sexual minorities like Susan Culkin's Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out, or Becky Albertalli's Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda have been challenged as well. But not all stories that don't fit neatly into our dominant cultural narrative are banned. Many are simply neglected. That's why the work of our neighbors like Oloranke Akinmawo is so valuable. Her passion project, the Free Black Women's Library, started back in 2015 on a brownstone stoop in Bedford Stuyve. Over the years, it's turned into something much bigger. She now hosts monthly pop-ups across New York City, featuring over 4,000 books written by Black women and Black non-binary authors. And Ola Ronke encourages the community to do much more than read books. From hosting self-defense workshops to discussions on Black feminism, her goal is to simply build this community. Today, Ola Ronke talks about what inspired her to start the Free Black Women's Library and what's in store for the future. Now, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. Find out about the biggest ideas in business on McKinsey's Insights app, where you can listen to podcasts like our flagship show, The McKinsey Podcast. We're so not tuned in to the dynamic going on for the current employees. What matters to them most? Or watch our author talk series featuring law professor Dorothy A. Brown. 60% of Black college students don't graduate. And when I came across that statistic, I got so depressed and read lots of articles about, for example, The Next Normal, where you can learn about the coronavirus's latest impact on business. To hear, see, and read more, download McKinsey's Insights app now. Now, back to the show. Here's my conversation with Ola Ronke. So my name is Ola Ronke Akimoo. I am a set decorator for film and TV. I am a visual artist a yoga teacher, a single mom, and the creator and director of a social art project called the Free Black Women's Library, located in Brooklyn, New York City. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about the Free Black Women's Library? How did the idea start? Sure. The Free Black Women's Library is a social art project that features over 4,000 books, written by Black women, Black femmes, and some Black non-binary folks as well. The library was started in 2015, and since then it has been traveling throughout New York City, and the way it works is that I install the library in different public spaces, such as museums, art galleries, community gardens, barbershops, 
public parks, cultural centers, churches, and I invite the community to come and engage with the collection in different ways. One of those ways is by participating in an exchange. And another way to engage with the library is to take part in our public programming that includes workshops on writing, workshops on Black women's literature, workshops on Black feminism, workshops on Afrofuturism. We want to make sure that everything we do is accessible and inclusive. So all of our programming is always free. And there are a couple of different things that inspired me to start this project. One of them being that I am a Black woman. I am also an artist. And I am also somebody who's really interested in creating space for people to be together in a way that feels very nurturing and very creative. I started this project way, way back when I was experiencing what I felt was a lot of misogynoir within within society, within media, uh, within American culture. Um, and even within global culture, the devaluing of Black womanhood, the um, devout, the um, dehumanizing of um, Black women, um, the state violence that Black women were experiencing from police, the violence that Black women were experiencing in the reproductive justice space, the mental health of Black women. There were just a lot of different things that were happening in the world at that time, and they're still going on. And I wanted to do a project where we could engage in a deep discussion and a critical analysis around the complications of Black womanhood, but not from a place of struggle, um, not from a place of victim but from a place of empowering, from a place of study, from a place of like, what did our ancestors do? What did, what did freedom fighters do before us? Um, what was Audre Lorde talking about? What was Fannie Lou Hamer talking about? What was Ella Baker talking about? Angela Davis, Toni Morrison, um, Toni K. Bambara, June Jordan, like all these Black women from all over the world, you know, what were they doing? They were dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with right now in 2022. So how do we build on their legacies? How do we learn from them? You know, so part of the project is around like confronting stereotypes that are placed on Black women. There are so many different ways that we exist in the world. And that's something that needs to be highlighted, illustrated, and explored. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through books and through storytelling and through conversation. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing to see how much you guys have grown. How many books did you guys start off with in the beginning? 100. (laughs) (laughs) And um, were those all like donations or your books? Um, Many of them were my personal books, my personal copies, and then some of them were donations. Um, I got some, I got like some Alice Walker, I got some Zora Neale Hurston, but I also had uh, my own books that I really want to share with the world. Um, Octavia Butler, Toni Morrison, all these different books that I had loved and really wanted to 
talk to other people about the character, the narrative, the story, and how much can be gained. Like how reading is like, reading is like a portal that can just take you to another world, another universe, another way of thinking, another perspective. So yeah, for that very first, that very first installation that I did, which was on a stoop in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, I had 100 books. And I know this project is very centered around community. How has it changed during the pandemic? You know, like a time where a lot of people were away from their communities and things like that. Um, how has it changed? Um, it's The main way that it's changed is that there are a lot of things happening in the virtual space. Whereas before the pandemic, I never was on Zoom with anyone. Whereas now we are doing so much online, you know, when it comes to the reading club, the reading club is meeting over Zoom twice a month on the Sundays of the month. The reading club used to meet in person. So the whole virtual thing has its advantages and its disadvantages, but actually the beauty of meeting in the virtual space is that you get to meet with people from all over the world. I don't want to lose that kind of global nature that we've developed as a result of it. And why call this a project rather than just like a library or even some kind of organization? That's a good question. Why call it a project as opposed to an organization? I think a project gives it a feel for what it is because it is a lot of work (laughs) for me. It's a lot of work, a lot of work. And there's so many layers to the work. There's administration, there's business, there's marketing, there's organizing, there's, there's curating, there's the physical labor. And it's not just a library because a library is specific. Like uh, a library is part of the inspiration for the project, but libraries are a very specific cultural institution that I love, you know, but they have their set boundaries and their set ways of being. And for me, the Free Black Women's Library, it's like, you don't need like a card to take books out. Like it's an exchange Are you the only one that's organizing everything or do you have people that help you? Yeah, I'm the only one. Um, I started this project alone (laughs) and it's kicking my butt. And I do have a a few folks who kind of help out every once in a while when it comes to like the manual labor of it. But for the most part, I'm pretty much doing everything by myself. And it does feel like a whole other full-time job in addition to the job I already have. Do you guys get funding? Well, I have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the funding for it to cover like, the expenses comes through uh, my Patreon, which is like people give like $2 or 5 or $10 a month. And um, for that money that they get to be a part of growing the library and keeping it sustainable. So, you know, the costs of like taking the books around and the costs of the storage space where the books are kept and the costs of the, when we need supplies, 
like all those different things is through the Patreon. So that's that's the main source of my funding is through uh, Patreon. And I apply for grants all the time, but I rarely get them. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about the name? How did it come about? Um, yeah, sure. So I really wanted to make it clear that this project would be a pl- project that centered Black women. So that's part of the reason why I put the name Black women in, put Black women in the title. Like, I really want that, wanted that to be clear. So there's no ambiguity or no confusion around that. So that's part of it. And I really wanted to do something around like the idea of freedom um, and the idea of liberation. Is that something that's even possible for us? And here I am hoping, praying and working on conjuring this space where, you know, all ages, all races, all genders are welcome to be in this space. Uh, But what you will experience when you're in this space is the brilliance, the creativity, and the diversity of Black women. I remember seeing your website that you guys were trying to um, get a bookmobile or some kind of um, reading room. Where are you guys in the process? Well, after a long, hard, almost year of searching for storefronts that I could afford in Best Eye Brooklyn, I finally found a storefront. And I took out a lease. So now I'm in the process of working with an architect to turn that storefront space into the official reading room that will serve as the brick and mortar space for the Free Black Women's Library. That's where um, the books will live. And this space will also serve as a space for the community. It'll be it's it'll be a little uh, creative hub, a literary hub, a co-working space where people can come and like be with the books, um, study and read, and meet with other people. Maybe have tutoring sessions. Definitely have definitely have book club. Yeah, so that's where we are with that. It's just um, turning this space into into the dream. Like Olaranke said, books can transport you into another world, another universe, but they're about much more than that. They allow us the unique opportunity to understand the world through a perspective that is not our own. In the words of author Mallory Blackman, reading is an exercise in empathy, an exercise in walking in someone else's shoes for a while. You can support the Free Black Women's Library by supporting Olaranke on Patreon, or through donating to her GoFundMe. You can also purchase the Free Black Women's Library merch. We'll include links for all of those in our show notes. And of course, keep your eyes and ears open for installations of the Free Black Women's Library. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc to stay in touch. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.